This is the Better Reading Podcast platform with stories behind the story, Jane's Be Better Podcast, my book chat with Caroline Overington and more. Looking for a particular podcast? Remember, you can always skip to it. Welcome to the Better Reading Podcast, stories behind the story, brought to you by Belinda Audio. Listen to Belinda Audiobooks, anywhere, everywhere. Hi, this is Cheryl Arkell from the Better Reading Podcast, stories behind the story. We talk to authors about how they came to tell us their story. Pamela Hart, welcome to Better Reading. Thank you so much, Cheryl. It's kind of nice to have you back. It's been a while since we've seen you. It has been a while, yeah, Yeah, and it's lovely to talk to you. Do you know, um, my memory of you, and correct me if I'm wrong, but you were just such a great supporter of us when we first launched. Well, I do. I'm still a supporter, obviously. Um, I think that it's a, you know, a fantastic initiative. And I've really loved seeing you go from strength to strength, you know, from from this, you know, idea to something that everybody knows about. And, oh, yeah, well, they said in better reading. And, yeah. <laughs> So, you know, I love that. Because really, we were so tiny when you first were yeah. supporting us. We were tiny. Yeah. Do you know, I still get the six years down the track. I think it's been six years. And still, if I hear, like sometimes I'll ring up to make an appointment, say at the doctor or the dentist or someone, yeah. and they'll say, oh, is that Cheryl from Better Reading? And it still makes my heart It's jump. so exciting, isn't it? <laughs> it's, so exciting. it's fabulous. So, congratulations. You, you know, because you I know how get that a lot. you have worked so hard at this show. Oh, yeah. It was scary the first couple of years, wasn't mm. it? Yeah. Anyway, but supporters like you and fabulous readers and listeners have made it happen. Let me introduce you. Pamela is a best-selling Australian author of more than 35 books, oh my God, including historical fiction, children's books and fantasy. She has a Doctor of Creative Arts in Writing from the University of Technology, Sydney, and teaches at the Australian Writers' Centre. Her latest novel, Very Different, very, very different. different to her past. Digging Up Dirt is her first murder mystery mm. about one woman's home renovation from hell when a body is found beneath the floorboards. Now, that made me laugh. Well, I have to admit, it is a very Sydney story in that sense. It's like, you know, someone's always renovating. Yeah. Um, and it is based partly on my own experience as a renovator. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. Well, I renovated my home a few years back. You might remember that. And... Uh, Oh, my God. It is these, you know, I'll tell you this, I'm the world's best sleeper. You know, if I don't have eight or nine hours sleep, then I'm not happy. And I get that most nights. I renovated my house. I had the best builder ever. I could Mm -hmm. not complain about them. They were fantastic. Yet for that time that my house was being renovated, I did not sleep a week. I know. Yeah. Did not sleep a wink. I've renovated two houses the house, the little house that is featured in Digging Up Dirt is based on a little house that I had and took back to bricks and dirt inside and and that took seven months. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I expected it to take two or three months, you know. Mm-hmm. But as you know, when you uncover things, there is always more to do. Yes, um, Yeah, so I think there's a lot for anybody who's ever tried to do anything around the house. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it's not surprising someone ends up dead, really. Yeah. No. <laughs> no. 
<laughs> could all, and it could be your spouse or your partner as well. It could be anybody. It could be anybody. Now, what I realized about doing my research about you today is I don't know a lot about you from the past, right? Mm. So you're going to have to take me right back. Right back. Right back where you grew up and how you came to be a writer. Well, I grew up in Western Sydney around Parramatta and my family, the rest of my family, my siblings are all teachers and my parents left school when they were 14 and so becoming a teacher for them was Mm. a huge achievement, huge achievement. And when I said, oh, no, I think I'll be a writer and work in television, literally everybody burst out laughing around the dinner table because we didn't know anybody, you know. We had never met anybody who did any creative work you know, there was this was well before the time when authors go out to schools and they thought that that was very funny. But I did communications, film and television production at UTS. So um, where did you go to school? I went to OLMC at Parramatta, Our Lady oh, wow. College. Okay, that's yeah. a good school. Um, um, I want to go back to that because I wasn't honing in on the school. I was going to talk about then. Like while you're at school, did you love reading? Did you I was an obsessive reader. So I was very ill as a child. I had Ah. um, asthma and I'm old enough so that there wasn't Ventolin around then. I had a lot of infections, a lot of bronchial infections and and I spent a huge amount of time in bed sick. And my father every afternoon would go up to the library and Mrs Ward, God bless her, would give him three more books and take back the three that I had read that day. He'd bring them home, I would read those three the next day and then he'd take them back for me. And that went on until I was in year five when I had literally read every book in the children's section of our our local library. And Mrs Ward let me go up to the adult section, but she checked all of the books to make sure they weren't rude. You know, so I was allowed to read Georgette Heyer, but I wasn't allowed to to read Angelique. I want to touch on that point because you are, I've only done a straw poll on this, right? Back then. Writers get sick. Oh, no, I know that. No, no, like a lot of writers have a period in their life where they have been forced to become observers. Yes, there is that. But what I'm getting at is the genre of YA. Oh, yeah. It didn't exist. No, it it was just starting, you know. I mean, Catcher in the Rise, arguably the first YA book. But it's certainly true that uh, Great Expectations or David Copperfield would today be be marketed as a YA novel. And uh, but Catcher in the Rye was the first kind of teenage book, and then Essie Hinton's The Outsiders. Outsiders, I was going to um, say, really set it up as a as a category that could make money, which is what mm. the publishers were interested. Because I was working on the shop floor. I mean, you must you're probably a bit younger than me, but I was working on the shop floor at a time where there was no YA category. No. So you were selling kids' books, and if those kids, and a lot of them had, had finished, really mm. pretty much expired that collection. Yeah. Then you were trying to, you know, find things them. that were okay. Yeah. And, and this is where I first got into mysteries, of course. Trixie Belden, you could argue, oh, was a really yes. strong YA title. So I read, I mean, I read all the Hardy Boys, I read Trixie Belden, I read Nancy Drew, I read everything. And I didn't really distinguish between them and Agatha Christie. Mm. You know, I was reading them all at the same time. Mm. Um, but I read I read literally every Trixie Belden book. Mm. And so I want to go to touching the point that, you know, a lot of writers have had a period of being sick. Mm. I've noticed that because, you know, I've spoken to a couple of hundred writers now yeah. on this podcast. 
what the other thing I've noticed is if it's not sick, it's like they've grown up in a community, you know, a small town or they've grown up on a farm. Not necessarily a story of adversity, no. but a story of isolation, social isolation. And not social in- isolation and or moving to somewhere like Wendy Orr, for example, moved to France. Yeah. And didn't speak the language at that point or not very well. She was in, you know, she was a primary school kid. And so it's about being turned into an observer somehow. Mm. Um, and this is mainly, I think, the difference between the obsessive reader and the writer. And it, it also happens to illustrators as well. A lot of illustrators will have had a similar experience. Is that right? Okay, because I haven't spoken to many illustrators. That makes sense to me and, and maybe even artists generally. I, I find less true of artists than illustrators. It, it seems uh, okay. to be one of those things mm-hmm. um, that distinguishes the two. Mm. So you're in high school and you're reading everything that you everything. can get your hands on, everything, yep. yep. So, and poetry as well, poetry. very big on poetry. Right. And did you get a sense back then of what you wanted to be? I always knew I wanted to be a writer. I think about when I was about 12, I figured out that these were actually people. Hmm. You know, that the books didn't magically appear somehow, yeah, you know. And I thought, yeah, that right, that's what I want to do. But I also felt very strongly that I was too boring to be a writer, Um, that my life was – that all these people, you know, I would read up about them and they all sounded really interesting and exciting and most of them didn't live in Australia, for example. And and I was this Western Sydney kid and I felt I – I felt my family and myself were too boring to be anything like a writer. And that was one of the reasons I thought I would work in television because I thought that will make me interesting enough to be a writer. Mm. (laughs) And it's funny because the first historical novel, The Soldier's Wife, that I wrote as Pamela Hart, is based on my grandfather's life because he was at Gallipoli. And I think so often as kids we think that, you know, what we know is boring and, and we want something much more exotic for ourselves. But in fact, of course, there were stories all over the place when I was growing up. I, I was just too young to see them. Mm. It's interesting, the perception of ourselves when we're young. I was just talking to a friend of mine about that recently because I didn't grow up in Western Sydney, but I grew up in Glebe um, and then we moved to Marrickville. Right. And I went to an inner city um, Catholic girls' high school. But, you know, I started not in wanting to be a writer. I was a reader, but, you know, writing was not something that uh, appealed to me. But there was a perception of myself that I didn't want to – I knew exactly what I didn't want to be. Yeah. 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 Did you have that? I didn't want to be a teacher. (laughs) (laughs) But also I didn't want to be the stereotype of a migrant girl growing up in Sydney. Right. I wanted to have more depth or more – texture I I wanted to speak the English that everybody else was speaking and you know because I think I wanted to be English yeah (laughs) so many of my books were from (laughs) England you know and and in fact my mother was very big on speaking properly as Mm -hmm. she as she called it and so you know we'd be caught up if we it's it's nine not nine yes but I think those things are important they are important but it certainly served me well when I started looking for work and because yes. there was in those days a very big prejudice against uh, Western Suburbs kids. Absolutely. Um, and then just imagine us, Western yeah. Suburbs and immigrants. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So being able to speak properly, be having a nice accent, 
People say class doesn't matter in Australia, and it's oh, nonsense, absolute, absolute nonsense. nonsense. Yep. So, yes, um, I wanted to be, yes, I wanted to be more. Being the youngest by some years, my siblings were all teachers by the time I was kind of deciding what to do with my life, or at least they were in teachers' college or university. And I went to so many, they would have parties at our house and everybody there would be teachers, like everybody. And I would go, oh, I'm never going to be a teacher. So that was, I kind of knew what I didn't want to do. And I was a Star Trek fan and I read a book called The Making of Star Trek by David Gerald. And it's literally about the kind of nuts and bolts of making the series. And it just sounded like so much fun, you know. And that's really why I thought, yeah, I work in TV. And it was fun. It was just as much fun as, as uh, it looked from that book. I had a ball. Um, Can I tell you my teacher story? Sure. And how my, well, it's a similar kind of story in terms of how my career launched. It's not a great story, but it is. It got me to where I'm, where I am now. I thought I wanted to be a teacher too, and I went to Teachers College. Institute of Early Childhood Studies, it was called oh, back yeah. then. Yeah. I was in the same year as uh, Tony from the Wiggles, Anthony. <laughs> oh, he, um, he was my, uh, the brother of one of my friends at school. Oh, there you go. But anyway, my second year at Prac, I was at this childcare centre that was like a resource centre that had a bookshop and a library upstairs. And uh, the woman that was marking me, the teacher that was marking me my Prac, called me up afterwards and said, Mm, I'm not really quite sure that you like children. <laughs> <laughs> and I said, I really don't. <laughs> I really don't like kids. <laughs> anyway, she said, why don't you go upstairs and get a job in the bookshop for the summer? Right. See what happens after that. Nice. That there you go. Wow. You might have been better with high school kids, Cheryl. I might have been. <laughs> I didn't well, like the little ones. When they I were grotty. <laughs> yes, they are grotty. When I started teaching writing, my siblings all thought that was hysterical because I'd always said, oh, I'll never be a teacher, you know. But I, you know, the difference is that my students want to be there. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So then you, so you left school. Did you go, you went to university? I went to UTS and did, yes. um, uh, we were, I think we were only the second or third year doing communications. Then. Yes, I remember when that university opened yeah. yeah and in those days it wasn't a university it was the New South Wales Institute of Technology yes. but it did give degrees um after I had this huge fight with my parents about not doing a degree I went to go to TAFE and they kind of hit the roof and everybody wanted me to be a lawyer school wanted me to be a lawyer the careers council wanted me to be a lawyer you know but we we compromised on the communications degree and I have to say they were right you know it certainly stood me in great stead in all sorts of ways and then when I came out, there were no jobs. And I did a stint in the Commonwealth Employment Service, which at the time I thought um, was just, you know, terrible because I wanted to be working in TV or whatever. But in fact, it was a fantastic background in character and understanding how the world worked. And then I landed a PR job. Mm -hmm. um, and so I worked in PR for a couple of years and then chucked it all in and went to England. Mm. Isn't it interesting how, and, and, you know, I try and tell young people that we have, you know, wonderful young people working in our, in our office and people often ask, you know, they think that I was just created as is, you know. <laughs> <laughs> you know? And the one thing that I've done from that day, from when I was 20 or 21 or whatever, however old I was, I have worked in the book industry. Yeah. But 
it wasn't this. You know, there's so many reiterate, you know, so yes. much. I mean, I was on the shop floor for many, many years and that's and an gosh, incredible that teaches you a lot. Oh, doesn't I, it? I was a waitress when yeah. I was at uni and I, I feel like everybody should be either a waitress or a retail worker. For I, I agree. Yeah. I agree. I think it, um, it teaches you to work. It teaches you to handle people. Mm. I look at CVs and I, and this is hand on my heart. If the person got 100 out of 100 for their HSC, I am not going to employ them unless they've had a job, yeah. unless they've worked like at McDonald's or the best, one of the best people I had worked in a shoe shop, you yeah. know. The people that actually have worked in the service industry mm. make much, much better work because it's kind of they've learnt how to work. Yes. They've learnt how to handle things. And they've learnt how to bite their tongue, think twice before they speak, yeah. look at life from other people's points of view. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. So tell me about when you finally took the time out to start writing. Well, I didn't really. Um, I didn't write anything while I was at uni except for assignments. Um, and wow. some of that was creative writing because I did some of those modules many of my I was quite involved with the speculative fiction community at that point and several of my friends were running zines and so they would get me to write Star Wars stories or Star Trek stories or in one case professional stories I don't know if you remember the professionals tv yeah British crime show and really that that was all I was writing um and I you know I was writing poetry and I wrote a couple of um, terrible short stories really but then I came home from England. I was working at the BBC there as a clerk and I came home from there because my visa ran out. And um, Did you do the two-year thing? Yeah. I did too. Yeah, Yeah. it was great. Yeah. Uh, I had a fantastic time and I was working for the Powerhouse Museum as a scriptwriter. So if you go around the museum and you see the little videos that go with the exhibits or if you stick your head into the number one engine carriage, you know, in the the locomotive and you hear people talking, so those those are my scripts. And while I was working there, and so I was writing, I was writing scripts. And of course, I had trained in that. And then while I was there, the powerhouse did a co-production with the ABC Education Department, a social history uh, show. And the one of their researchers left, and I applied for that job and got it. And then the very first episode, but I was there as a researcher, even though they knew I, I had been a scriptwriter. Uh, it was just a researcher's job. But the very first show I worked on, the scriptwriter had a dummy spit. He and the director had a had a big fight, and he walked out. And 
the director turned around to me and said, you write scripts, don't you? I went, yes, I do. He went, right, okay, you know what we want, have a go. Mm. And so from then on I, I wrote the scripts as well as researching and I did that um, for several years with the ABC Children's Education. And was that like a dream job? Oh, it was so much fun. It yeah. was. It was so much fun. And the people who read Digging Up Dirt, um, Jennifer Jay in that is a, is a tribute to my boss there. Jennifer, oh, Jane, well, Jennifer Jane Gibbs, who is, uh, alas, no longer with us. But she really, she was the one who got me writing prose. So there was a show called Watch Your Language, which was about English across the curriculum for years three and four. And each episode, so I did all the research and I did the scripts for these, and each episode had a story in the middle, which was told to camera. And I had to find the stories I, each episode had a theme and so that this, the stories had to be three minutes long, suitable for years three and four, suitable for being told to camera and on the theme of the episode. And I literally read hundreds of stories trying to find these and I found five out of the ten. Oh, wow. And then Jenny said, well, you know what, we need you write them. Mm. And so I wrote five short stories for children and at that point I had no confidence in my own writing at all like none but these were going to be on television you know Mm -hmm. and so I sent them to the school magazine with a letter that said you know these are going to be on the ABC and I now know that they don't care about that at all Um, but Anna Feinberg was the editor at that point yeah the the, you'll know the Tashi books I'm sure your listeners will know the Tashi books and I sent her five stories and she sent four back but she kept the very first children's story I ever wrote, The Virtues of Felicity. And I said to her, recently I saw her at a party and I said, you know, you're the reason I'm a writer. You know, If you'd sent five back, yeah. I would have gone, oh, well, I can't do that. And I would have stuck with script writing. Wow. So you wrote historical fiction for quite a while. Tell me about your first publishing experience with your first historical fiction. Um, okay, so to put it in context my first historical fiction, I think, was my 28th book. Oh, wow. Um, because yep. I had been writing for children for quite yep. a long time and then I had written epic fantasy for adults. They were my first adult books. So the first historical fiction, well, technically my first historical fiction is The Black Dress, um, which is a book about Mary McKillop, her childhood, and that was as Pamela Freeman, but it was aimed at Initially it was aimed at YA, but in fact most of the readers have been adults. Um, But when I started to write specifically for adults, um, The Soldier's Wife was the first book and that that came out of my grandfather's experiences at Gallipoli. But the concentration was on the people that the men left behind. And why did you decide to transition from kids to adults? It was just a story I really wanted to write. Because it I sounds mean, quite organic, doesn't it, for you? Oh, look, I just write whatever the hell I want to write, Cheryl, yeah. you know, and sometimes it's for kids and sometimes it's for adults. Mm. And I, I have never had a plan. Mm. <laughs> you know, people have kind of career plans and goals and, you know, all of that. I just write. I just write what I want to write. And so far it's worked, you know. It's not necessarily the best way to build a readership. I think, that you know, the best way to build a readership is to write the same kind of book over and over. And I don't, although I may well with mysteries, I may well stick with this for quite a long time because I really enjoy doing them. But no, that book was looked at what happened to the women who were left behind Mm. and then what happens when their husbands come home. 
So with Digging Up the Dirt, the book that we're talking about now, how did you transition to that? Was it just the story that you had after a renovation? Um, you no, of- it wasn't really. No, what happened was I had been doing the historical novels based in World War One, mm-hmm. and I wrote this book a, a couple of years ago after I had finished doing The Desert Nurse, which was the, the last of the World War One books, so there's four based more or less around World War One. And the research in that, I had always wanted to write that book because it was the nurses who saved my grandfather's life. Hmm. Uh, so he he contracted a very bad fever after he was wounded during the retreat and uh, it was only good nursing that saved his life. And so I had always wanted to write that story. But the research was huge because it went over the entire war, it was the whole four years of war. And it was very grim research, you know. Um, the book is not grim, I hasten to add, but the research was quite confronting, you know, how to cut off someone's leg in a tent, mm-hmm. how to make sure people don't die of dysentery and, you know, all of that. It was quite, you know, it was <laughs> quite depressing really. Uh, made me admire those women even more, mind you. But And I came out of that going, I, ju- I just want to write something that doesn't need to do any research and that's fun. And that's really where Digging Up Dirt came from. A friend of mine said, you should write a mystery. And I went, yeah, I should. You know, I've been saying that for ages. I had had a short story, mystery story published, and I'd written kids' mysteries, then the Tiger Bay mysteries. But um, I thought, yeah, I will. I would do something and I won't do any research at all. And so that's why I gave her my old house in Annandale and my old job at the ABC and my prior job at the museum and you know um, everything that I knew yeah I just I just mined my own life which was something I'd never done before Mm -hmm. and now it's quite confronting now it's coming out and people are reading it I'm going oh I did put quite a lot of myself in there didn't I (laughs) people are reading I'm we've already got people making comments about how much they're enjoying it oh that's nice you've got a really lovely fan base haven't you of readers I do look the historical readers in particular just lovely people really really Mm. lovely people and they they're readers Mm. you know they're real readers uh they read widely do you know, Pamela, I am every day somebody in my community surprises me or makes my heart melt yeah, or, yeah. you know, their generosity and what they say. And it just every single day, I mean, I read all the comments before I go to sleep at night. <laughs> and I just really, you know, it there is. are very, very, very few awful comments. Maybe in the six years we've had maybe three, yeah. you know, like not yeah. that many. And I think it's because readers, I talked to Trent Dalton about this, I think it's because readers have empathy. They do. And in fact, there's there's quite good evidence that reading improves empathy, mm. um, which is why it's important for children. Uh, I think, yes, that that is the, you learn how to be somebody else through reading and Mm. and it's the thing that reading gives you that nothing else does give you it's the only other only place you can get inside somebody else's head tv and film can't do it because you're always on the outside looking whereas with reading you are getting inside another human being and that's an extraordinary thing when you think about it like that but it certainly builds empathy and the ability to be kind Mm. I think. Um, I just wanted to ask you a question. I didn't know that yet you're a doctor. Of, I should have called you Dr. Pamela oh, Hart. I didn't know you were no, a doctor. No, it's, it's actually Dr. Pamela Freeman. Oh, Freeman, yes, Because it's course. my other name, yeah. But I don't have a 
a view on this. I think about it a lot, and you might have a more formed view than me, considering your experience. But the pace at, at which people are reading Australian fiction mm. is huge. I do know that. Yeah. I know that it represents almost 50% of the publishing industry in Australia at the moment. Mm. And when I started back it when. It wasn't. Oh, gosh, yeah. it wasn't. I think yeah. it wasn't even 20%. Yeah. And I think that that there's just so many good writers that are coming out. Mm. Now, where is that coming from? And why weren't there good writers, say, 20 years ago? Well, there were good writers 20 years ago, but not as many books were being published. Right, okay. And I think that what is happening is uh, a resurgence in writing, oddly enough because of the internet. And I know that sounds strange, but the internet is a text-based entertainment system Mm. you're reading all the time you're reading all the time Uh, and you're writing all the time you're writing comments you're writing posts you're you know and weirdly I think that this has um has joined cultures like when you are a tv culture you are a receptive culture that's all you're doing is receiving but the internet culture is a creator's culture and I think that has unlocked the possibility of creation for a lot of people Oh, wow, I like that. I like that. So, you know, because you're still teaching, aren't you? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And are you, I'm going to try and say this without sounding, (laughs) like I worked at a publishing house, um, as you might remember, for three years. And really when you were reading stuff that was coming through the slush pile, Mm. I mean, it was a miracle Mm. if you came across something well written, right? I mean, that even happens now to me. I get sent a lot of stuff. Okay. But I do think there are some really, not think, I know, so many great Australian debut fiction writers. Fantastic. So are these people becoming better because of people like you? You Well, I hope so. Obviously, obviously I hope. We are continually looking for new tutors because more and more people are wanting to, to write. Yeah. And, and the fact um, that they're learning to write is they're great. They're learning to write. And I think this is actually something that has shifted. I think people see it now as a craft they have to learn. Yes. Uh, I mean, you, you do occasionally get the person who thinks, I am a genius. Yes. Um, <laughs> and they come into our classes as mainly to be told that they're a genius, right? Yes. <laughs> because their, their family has ceased to be excited by their work. And so they come to us hoping, expecting to be told, oh, your work is so perfect, you should submit your book immediately. And they're not told that because they're, it's, you know, genius is rare, right? Some of them get the huffs and go off and self-publish. And that's where you get a lot of the terrible self-published books, which, you know, are out there. But most people go, oh, okay, I can be better. I can learn to be better. And I think what is happening is a sense that writing is not about inspiration so much that people are starting quite rightly to look at it as a craft first. Mm. See, that's what I think. When I'm reading, if the craft and the inspiration come together, mm. magic. Absolute magic. But um, but for the general reader, they're, most of them are satisfied with the craft. You mm. know, like the real reader, the reader who reads several books a month or more, Romance readers are a great example. Mm-hmm. So the typical romance reader reads 10 books a month and they are they love it when craft and inspiration come together, but they're okay with craft as long as the craft is good. 
Mm. And I think that's fair. It's like, you know, you don't expect every meal to be a cordon bleu. No, meal, no, that's right? right. And as long yeah. as it's tasty and nutritious, it's fine. I, yeah. And I think, you know, I always like Sturgeon's Law, uh, Theodore Sturgeon, speculative fiction writer in the 60s and 70s, and his law said, you'll excuse me, uh, 90% of everything is crap. Mm. Um, and you get that 10% on any genre. It doesn't matter what the genre is. There's that 10% that is magic. Mm. Well, what can I say? Thanks for the magic, right? <laughs> Digging up dirt. Congratulations, Pamela. Thank you so much for your time today. Really Thank enjoyed you, that Cheryl. chat. That was a lovely chat, actually. Fairly nice. Thank you. If you'd like more information about Better Eating, follow us on Facebook or visit bettereating.com.au. This podcast is proudly sponsored by Belinda Audio. Belinda Audio books are available on CD and MP3 from online booksellers and bookshops everywhere, or you can download from Audible, Google Play or the iBook Store. We've also created our own app called BorrowBox that's available from both the App Store and Google Play. All you need to do to get it working is to download the app, join your local public library, and you'll gain access to the world's best collection of e-books and e-audiobooks available for you to loan on your phone or your personal device. Belinda, we're here to enable you to escape, imagine, grow, and be inspired through the power of storytelling. Belinda Audiobooks. Anywhere. Everywhere. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan, crusted chicken, or garlic, butter, shrimp, scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. If you enjoyed this podcast, leave us a review and check out the other podcasts on the Better Reading Network.